Okay. Hi, everybody. You're very welcome. Today is May the 23rd of um, 2023, and it is a special focus meeting of uh, Overeaters Anonymous. It's recovery from relapse. And today I am delighted to introduce the speaker, Patrick B. Patrick um, came to OA in 2015 and now lives in Lakeville, Minnesota in the USA. And I was lucky enough to get to meet Patrick at the OA birthday party. So I am going to pass it over to him now to share his experience, strength and hope. Take it away, Patrick. Thank you, Rita. It's good to see you. Um, it's good to be here. Um, my name is Patrick and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Um, grateful to be in a sacred place called Overeaters Anonymous. And this fellowship is sacred to me. Um, and this path is sacred to me. And the path is, um, you know, I like, I love the fact that this meeting is, has a special focus because I am someone who, um, suffering the severe consequences of my illness in a hospital bed, about to have two toes amputated off my right foot, relapsed in a hospital on food before surgery, the night before surgery. So when, when we look at page 24 of the big book and it says, I have no effective mental defense against the first drink. If my spiritual condition isn't fit, right? If I am not um, aligned, there is no consequence in my life that will keep me from that food. None. I am utterly and completely helpless and hopeless in the face of food. And that's why I need uh, a God of my understanding, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous and all of you in my life. I don't have the power of choice. Um, no offense, but honestly, if I did have the power of choice, I'd be doing something else at eight o'clock uh, in, in the United States on a Tuesday morning. Um, I can't think of a place I'd rather be today uh, than with all of you. So it's with that that I, that I, that I, if you have your book with you and if you don't, fine. Um, I like to read something from the forward to the second edition to emphasize what we have available to us in this program. And this is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, the physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but it failed. But when the broker, Bill Wilson, gave him Dr. Silkworth's description of, his, of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. I can report to you that after that relapse in a hospital, I pursued the spiritual remedy with an enthusiasm I hadn't had previously. It's something that I needed to occur. It's unfortunate that it occurred, but I needed it to happen in order to get clear on where I was at with step one in this disease. Uh, he sobered never to drink again up to the moment of his death in 1950. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic another with another, was vital to permanent recovery. The word permanent is used in our big book. It's used in two places. And it's both in reference to Dr. Bob, oddly enough who achieved permanent recovery after he got into fit spiritual condition, completing his amends. Um, and, and what I want to say to anyone that's suffering currently, whether you're abstinent 24 hours, whether you're abstinent just a few days and not sure if you're doing it, is that's what we have available here, permanent recovery. Not a cure, 
but permanent recovery. You can be recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. That state of mind and body that I was in, in a hospital room, suffering the severe consequences of my illness, chronic neuropathy due to type 2 diabetes caused by morbid obesity. Rita, if you could uh, throw those photos up. Um, I, I can show you the contrast that, that this is, these are the two photos I always use because it's a stark reminder and a stark uh, example of what's available in Overeaters Anonymous. And it's not just the weight loss that you'll experience. The picture up on top is, is in 2015 at the International AA Convention. The picture down uh, in, in, the, in the lower right-hand corner is three years later, 2018. By the way, I was I was in a I had a, a boot on my foot here because my feet were starting to deteriorate, my right foot in particular, because of the neuropathy. And this was be just shortly before my relapse. So I went into the hospital about a month after this trip back to that same. And you can notice this is the same place. We went to a restaurant. This one, my, my obese picture, um, I had just finished a giant plate of barbecue food and, and whatever. And this down here, I had eaten an abstinent lunch out with the same two people. I had weighed and measured my food because that's what I do. Um, that's what I need to do. I need to weigh and measure. I, I, I don't have the ability to, uh, to do it. That's, that's good, Rita. Thank you. I want to see these smiling faces again. Um, so food has always been an obsession for me. I'm, a kid, I'm the kid they found on the kitchen floor uh, after having built a tower of a chair and a box and a pot to get up to the top cupboard to get the chocolate chips that my mother stashed up there for her baking needs. I would be the one they'd find on the kitchen floor at four years old, smeared in chocolate, having eaten the whole bag of chocolate chips. And, you know, they just thought I was a mischievous kid, but I can report to you now that looking back upon it, the allergy to sugar and chocolate was on to me. I was in my trigger foods. I'm the kid who at five or six years old would always get reprimanded for standing in front of the refrigerator, staring into that beautiful abyss of food. Shut the door, don't. And I would just stand there and eat whatever I could get my hands on, right? I didn't know that I was treating an internal condition with food. I thought, you know, it, it, it's funny that the longer I stay here, the less I, uh, the less, um, the more I understand that food is not the problem. Food is my attempt at a solution. And my solution takes me downrange in fully into my disease. Now I have to get arrested with my food. I have to arrest that. You know, the, the big book talks about a man's brain needs to be cleared before spiritual tools can be effective. So we need to have abstinence in our life. You know, it's very, very difficult to have a spiritual experience if you're drunk on food. Imagine an alcoholic, you know, the big book was originally intended for alcoholics. Imagine somebody trying to work the steps with somebody that's drunk on a daily basis. It's not effective. Um, we, we need to get the food in order. And you may need help with that. You may need the, the guidance of a sponsor. You may need, in my case, I needed a nutritionist because I had severe medical issues. Right? Um, I'm also a member of the, of the, of the Grandfather Fellowship. Um, and, and, you know, food was my, my first drug, um, call it what you want. Um, but that's how I managed my internal condition. I had grown up in an alcoholic home. I was vic uh, witness to and victim of things in that home that no child should be witness to or victim of. Um, and you can let your, your, your mind go to the dark places 
that a statement like that might conjure and, and you can be assured that that's what I experienced. Um, and so I needed the safety that food gave to me. I needed, I needed something to make me occasionally feel good and be able to escape. Uh, but then at 13 years old, I discovered beverage alcohol. Um, and, and I was an off the cliff. I have the allergy to alcohol, a violent allergy to alcohol. I've, I've never been able to use alcohol safely in any form, um, as the big book says. And, and so that sort of took, took, um, took the lead for, for a long time. That being said, food was always there. I was morbidly, I, I would say I was probably close to being morbidly obese by the time I was 15 years old. And I was always 50 to 75 pounds heavier than I should have been all of my life um, up until I found Overeaters Anonymous. Um, the, uh, the, the real journey in, in, into, into uh, severe food addiction actually happened after I found recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous at age 44. So just to give you an idea of, of the severity of my um, first step experiences, I, had, I was walking out of intensive care wards after having heart attacks during DTs as an alcoholic um, and walking into liquor stores. And I, would, I did that more than once. So I, I had two surgeries as a result of the, of the damage that I had done to my heart uh, as a result of my alcoholism, direct result of my alcoholism, in in uh, and and I would walk out of the hospital, and 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 continue to binge eat and drink, um, and so the consequences of the disease are not something that are going to keep me sober. Um, I, I sobered up in in two December twenty third of two thousand twenty three is my is my sober date in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and I did pretty well for four or five years. But then some, some things started to happen in my recovery that, that slowly turned me back to food to treat my internal condition, right? I had achieved some spiritual fitness in AA, um, but food was always there, you know? I, and, and so at five years sober, I had to have a triple bypass on my heart. So they had to split me an 18 inch um, surgery on my chest. They had to open me up. Um, and I remember waking up in the waiting room or in the, in the, in the recovery room, in the ICU, the cardiac ICU of the hospital that I was in and thinking to myself, not long after I woke up and my brain started clearing from the anesthesia, well, now I've got a clean bill of health. I can eat whatever I want. And in the next seven years, I put on 150 pounds. I don't know any cardiologists that recommend that as a recovery process from a triple bypass. So when I say to you that I'm helpless and hopeless in the face of food, it's experiential. And it's a wholesale miracle that I'm on this meeting today. And I've never taken that for granted. The grace that I live in to have found abstinence in the program of Overeaters Anonymous is immense. Um, in the summer of 2015, I was... Uh, I was I, I attended the uh, International Convention of Alcoholics Anonymous in Atlanta, Georgia. I was well over 400 pounds, suffering from type 2 diabetes and chronic neuropathy in both my legs. And I was walking around that, uh, waddling around, more, more aptly uh, described, waddling around that, that convention. Um, 
And if you asked me how I was doing, I would report to you that all was well. I'm fine. Um, I'd been I'd been getting uh, moved around Alcoholics Anonymous to do talks because this thing under my nose runs pretty well. And I'm a guy that will memorize the front end of the big book and tell you how to work it very well and not apply any of those principles in my life. I have a well-formed recovery ego. I use the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps, to sound good and look good, but not be good. I wasn't living him. I wasn't practicing the principles in all of my affairs. Hell, I was barely practicing them in any of my affairs. The, the time that I might practice a few of them was when I was in front of people and, and you could see me. But I wasn't able to live the 12 steps. And that's why I was suffering from food addiction in the midst of recovery from alcoholism. Now, I didn't drink, and I don't know why, I, the grace of God, um, that, that I didn't pick up a drink. So I, I still pick up my chips in AA. But what I say is that I was not in recovery. I was abstinent from drinking, but I was not in recovery. I was in active addiction with food while I was in another 12-step fellowship. And I would have reported to you that all was well. You know, there's a reason the first 43 pages of the big book are about the delusional state of mind that we exist in. Is it possible you're in more trouble than you think you are? I certainly was. Um, at that convention, I, I, I couldn't move around the way I wanted to. I was there with those two people that you saw in those photographs. They were my hosts. They were deeply concerned about my condition. I split up with them on the second day just because I wanted them to be able to go and have fun um, and, and do what they needed to do. And in the, in the midst of that, I was uh, sitting on a bench um, sweating. It was hot in Atlanta, Georgia in the dead of summer. Um, I had just come from outside, uh, walking uh, from one of the sites that I wanted to go see, um, and I was I was sweating, and you know, so I sat down on the bench, and this couple that I had had met um, at other uh, seminars and conventions. Now at this convention, there's fifty thousand people at this thing. I mean, it's immense. The International AA Convention, which, by the way, I would encourage you to go to if you have the opportunity ever. Um, it's it's a wonderful twelve step convention, and we welcome everybody. Um, is, is, uh, you know, the, it's in this huge convention center and, and I, I'm, I'm really restricted to a small area in this convention center because I can't, I can't physically move around. The neuropathy in my legs is bothering me. I'm, I'm morbidly obese. I'm over 400 pounds. Um, but if you ask me all's well, you know, isn't this great? I'm doing fine because you're not going to get next to it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give this thing up. That's been giving me the safety that I need, the security that I need in my life. Right, treating this internal condition, the spiritual malady, as as it's described. Right, it's on page fifty-two of our book. I was prey to misery and depression. I couldn't maintain personal relationships. Right, it's all there, and I was experiencing all of it. But if you asked me, I would tell you. I would. I would. I would recite from the big book. I would give you the company line. And in the meantime, I'm suffering. And, it, and if not for a responsible recovered member of this fellowship, you'd have a different speaker on this meeting today. As I was sitting on that bench, I was approached by this couple that I'd met at, at many of the uh, retreats and seminars that I had been a, a part of. Um, and we greeted each other. And, and she looked at him and said, 
um, hey, why don't you go get us a cup of coffee? And he looked at her and said, are you crazy? The lines are an hour long. This place is packed. And they were. The, the lines for coffee were literally like 40 minutes long. And she looked at him and said in the wifey voice, you ladies know what this one is, go get us some coffee. She slowed it down so the man could understand it. And he said, oh, okay. And she sat down next to me. And she grabbed my hand. And she said, Patrick, how you doing? And I said, I'm fine. I'm great. Isn't this wonderful? I, you know, are you having fun at the convention? I tried to deflect. And she squeezed my hand and, and looked me right in the eye and said, Patrick, how are you doing? And I said again, except a little weaker, I said, I'm fine. And she looked me in the eye and said, Patrick, you're full of shit. You're dying. And as a responsible recovered member of Overeaters Anonymous, I can't let this opportunity go unless I tell you what I've experienced in a way. She had the courage to tell me the truth about the nature of my condition, the grave nature of my condition. And she pissed me off. Why wouldn't she? Because I'm the super sober, you know, recite the big book guy. I've got this well-formed ego. And she busted right through it. Um, we talked for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then her hubby came back with the coffee. And she left me with her phone number and, 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 and walked off. And of course, I went immediately and found something to eat. Um, and I went home after that convention and ate like a madman for a month. And one Sunday morning, I woke up and got on a website here locally. And, and I don't know why I woke up with the willingness in the summer of 2015 in August. I don't know why, but I did. And I, I went to a meeting and I started and somebody at that meeting asked me a very annoying question at, at, <laughs> after the meeting. The bastard asked me, what are you going to have for breakfast tomorrow? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? And he did. Um, and that's how my abstinence started. He, start, he started by holding my hand. Um, he started by, by sharing his food plan with me until I could get my own from a nutritionist. I needed it from a nutritionist because I have all these medical issues going on. I'm type 2 diabetic. I have cardiac you know, I have cardiac disease. I, I, you know, I needed, I needed medical help. Um, and I still use that food plan. Um, I still consult with my nutritionist. Um, matter of fact, we just had to add food because my activity level here recently is going, but I was suffering consequences all through my abstinence. My weight loss was significant. You could see it. I'm down over 200 pounds, like 205, 208, something like that. Um, I'm at maintenance weight. Um, but during that process, in the first three years of my abstinence, um, my feet began to deteriorate because of the chronic neuropathy. I would get sores on them and they would get infected. Um, and I and I was, you know, I was in the hospital a fair amount. I was able to maintain my abstinence except for one night when when um, I didn't get a metabolic snack from the from the cafeteria. They had screwed up 
I had some food with me in the room. And typically what, what I had been instructed to do is, hey, make a call and just, you know, see what you should do to, to, to remain abstinent. But I made a, I, because I'm a, I'm a, um, an extreme example of self will run riot, though I usually don't think so, as the big book describes us. Now think about that. Everybody laughs at that. I'm an extreme example of self will run riot. We chuckle because we can relate to that, right? But the line that's dangerous there is the next few words, though he usually doesn't think so. So I'm about to have amputations of my foot done when the infection's down, and I reach for food instead of prayer, instead of a sponsor call, right? 10 minutes. Thank you, Rocky. And I relapsed in the hospital. And here's what I relapsed on, because this is what I have available. I ate a whole can of cashews, a big one. Now, it wasn't steak and chocolate cake. You know, I'm, I'm such a low bottom. I mean, you know, if I had $1,000 in my pocket and walked into a, a grocery store, I, I, God knows I'd probably buy some kind of garbage junk food. I wouldn't buy, you know, the high-end stuff. If I walked into a liquor store, I'd buy the cheapest vodka they had, not the high-end stuff. I, that's just how I roll. Um, but I ate that whole can of cashews, and they actually had to postpone the surgery the next morning because I'd consumed food after my time. The reason they didn't send the metabolic snack up is that I needed to be fasting before the surgery. And I got pissed off because, you know, you, you ain't going to take it away from baby, right? Um, that's how I roll. You know, nobody tells baby what to do. You just put me in the corner. Um, thank God some people finally punched through some of that. Uh, I'm still kind of a problem child, as you can imagine. But, you know, I do have guardrails in my life, thankfully. But what I realized at that point was, is that I, I, I hadn't maintained fit spiritual condition. My 10-step practice had, had fallen off when I went to the hospital. I wasn't doing my 11-step practice either. Um, and, and, you know, my reaching out to others in the program was, had, had fallen short. I had my phone right there with me and I wasn't making calls. I wasn't doing the things that, that allowed me to maintain my abstinence and keep me connected to my higher power and all of you. So we got through that experience. Um, you know, they, they, they ended up doing the surgery and I, I re-engaged, um, and, in the, you know, my abstinence date is August 26th of, of uh, 2020 because I had another slip. I had a brief slip um, in the summer of 2018. I was experiencing some emotional difficulty, um, and I, I, it was self-will run riot again. Um, you know, I claimed my food every day with my sponsor, and I made a change to that menu um, without consult, that's she and I agree that with me, um, that's a slip. Um, so I've had two two slips. I've had one what I would call full blown binging relapse. I didn't binge the second time, but I, but it was a slip. I call it procedural. Call it what you want. I know for me it's a slip, and I restated my date because I wanted to pound a, a stake in the sand and say this is the date of my permanent recovery, right? And that's just for today. Uh, today I am permanently recovered, right? Today, I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but today that, that is present in my life because the big book tells me it is. 
And if I practice exactly what's in the book to the best of my ability, as it says in the forward to the first condition, uh, first edition, precisely how we have recovered, I will achieve that state. I don't have to do it perfectly. I have to do my best. I have to be honest, open-minded, and willing. And I don't know what going to willing to any, any lengths is going to look like to you. I can tell you that sawing a raspberry in half and putting it on a scale wasn't on my list of shit to do in life. But I do that because that's how it works for me. That's just what I do. What I found out is that discipline is the path to freedom in my life. People, oh, Patrick, you're too rigid. You're too, it, yeah, okay. Freedom from the bondage of self. That's what I have available to me. And, and you know, an AA mentor used to say to me, Patrick, you bring a thimble to the ocean. You want to swim in the ocean and you bring a thimble and try to swim in that. You're like a fish in the water asking, where's the water? The spiritual life is surrounding you. It's in every, every single breath we take is a spiritual act given to us by something greater that we can't explain. And I can stay connected to that as a result of working these 12 simple steps in my life to the best of my ability. I can have freedom from the bondage of food. I can have freedom from the bondage of self. I can sit here and look you in the eye and say to you, if you're suffering today, there is a pathway. It requires your participation. And I'm sorry that you've struggled and suffered. We're here for you. Call somebody today. You don't have to live the way you've been living. What we have here, I can't even begin to put into words the gratitude that I experience for living the life that this fellowship has given me. You know, I went out to L.A., kindred spirits, right, Rita? Rita and I connected, I don't know, sometime before she heard me do a talk, and, and we connected before. And I went, we got to L.A., and I got to L.A., and I didn't know that she was up to be a speaker. I knew she was going to be there. But I was standing in the room meeting the people and all of a sudden, and I just knew. And she came over and she gave me that hug that only two people who have had kindred spirits. And you, many of you know the story she's had as well. We are wholesale miracles of recovery. You know, look what she's doing today. I know she's got a boot on her leg. She's had a boot on her leg for a long time and she's on this meeting doing service. An example of the grace of a higher power, right? So when you think you've done enough for, for OA, just do a little more. That's what I try to do. I try to do just a little more. I try to be of service to my fellow. I try to understand who in my fellowship is suffering, and I reach out. I, I just send a text or a phone call. I don't go hard like that woman had to go. She knew who she was talking to. She knew how thick my ego was. She came at me the way she came at me because that's the only way I hear it. I am a two by four upside the head guy. You don't get my attention with a feather. You got to take a second swing with that two by four to get my attention. Patrick, you're dying. That's what she said to me. She knew what she was looking at. I'm not recommending that for everyone. Some of us need a hug. Some of us need a two by four, but whatever it is, we can all help each other if we're in fit spiritual condition as the big book says. And we achieve that by working these steps. 
and by being willing to go to any length. And I don't know what any length is going to look like for you, but I know what it looked like for me. It meant that I had to enter into a, to a, to a set of, 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 of disciplines, the nine tools of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm so grateful you read those because that's what sets me up to have the spiritual experience of the steps. If I implement those tools in my life and work them all each day, and it sounds, oh, it's too much, I can't do it. My morning, my, my, my entire OA routine is completed by 7 a.m. every day. It actually takes me about 45 minutes. That's my call to my sponsor. That's taking two calls from sponsees. That's doing, um, doing my, 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 my spiritual routine, right? It's not a big ask. Now, at first, it seemed like it was lifting 5,000 pounds. Well, it took 200 pounds off my back. Two minutes. The results speak for themselves. And here's where people get a little cranky with me and might log off, but I'm walking, talking, living, breathing evidence of the power of God in the 12 steps, and you don't get to deny my life or my recovery. You don't get to look me in the eye and tell me it doesn't work if you haven't worked it. You can choose not to. But when you leave this call today, when you leave this meeting, you will have been given a full set of experience, strength, and hope of what will occur if you work this program to the best of your ability with guidance. And that means you have to, it means that what goes in your mouth, when it goes in, and how much of it goes in might need to change. Oops, who knew? that in order to achieve abstinence, we had to change what we eat. There's a shocking revelation. It was shocking to me. See, I'm a guy that signs up for the miracle. Just poke me on the head, tap me on the head and make me, you know, thin and, and sexy and, you know, all of this BS. No, it's work. It's discipline. It's commitment. It's effort. And we'll do it with you. We'll grab you by the hand and walk with you shoulder to shoulder. We commenced upon our common journey. And that day she commenced on, on my common journey with all of you. And I can't begin to tell you the gifts that I receive on a daily basis as a result of being a member of this fellowship. Not the least of which is being on here with 132 other people from all over the world to start my day. I'm grateful for your time. I'm grateful for your fellowship. I'm grateful for your service to this meeting and I will pass. Wow, thank you, Patrick. What a message of depth and weight. And I'm just gonna uh, read a bit out of the big book, page 180 and 181 in Dr. Bob's Nightmare. Of far more importance was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I'd ever talked, who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. In other words, he talked my language. He knew all the answers and certainly not because he had picked them up in his reading. If you think you're an atheist, an agnostic or a skeptic or have any other form of intellectual pride which keeps you from accepting what is in this book, I feel sorry for you. If you still think you're strong enough to beat the game alone, that is your affair. But if you really and truly want to quit drinking liquor for good and all and sincerely feel that you must have some help, we know that we have an answer for you it never fails if you go about it with one half of the zeal you have been in the habit of showing when you were getting another drink your heavenly father will never let you down and that's just a quote out of 180 and 181 and that's dr bob's nightmare and we'll stop the recording there